Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. dedicated to Henry Foreman. In the year of the final Searching for the darkness, searching for the light, searching in the darkness, putting up a fight. Iron chains surround you, you try to make a run. Someone near has found you and now you see the sun. Yes, indeed, some lyrics from Razor, Executioner, Songwrite, there. An odd um, combination of words, searching in the darkness. And then in the second line, you're also looking in the darkness. I suppose that's fair enough, really, you're... You know, searching for the light, that kind of thing. Iron chains surround you. It doesn't quite specify whether you're wrapped up in those chains or you maybe, maybe you're, a, you know, maybe you're at the dock somewhere where there, um, you know, ships come into harbour, that kind of thing. You could be, maybe you're in a chain factory. I'm not sure. Try to make a run. Someone near has found you and now you see the sun. Well, I mean, what better source of light than the sun, my friends? Welcome to Agitators Anonymous. Episode 120. 120. God damn it, Janet. Well, I'm Alan Averill, your hostess with the leastest. Um, and I thank you all. Recently, I've seen again another um, upturn, a little upsurge <clears throat> for whatever that's worth um, in the people listening, the numbers of people listening. And the interview with Okai from Boltzer went down a treat. And I do want to get back into some more video interviews, some more discussions with people. Um, and over the next few weeks, I'm going to be in a few different places, namely Beyond the Gates now, this coming week ahead. So hopefully I can nab a few interesting people and try and have a chat with them. Let's hope so. Well, let's get some of those pesky informationals out of the way first. You can follow me on Instagram, Nemthianga underscore primordial, primordial underscore official. You can support the show. Um, over at patreon.com slash Alan Averill for as little as whatever it is per month. Who knows? One of your um, one of your Earth Euro, a bag of turnips. I'm not really too sure exactly how the tiers work and never amended or fixed them. Well, isn't that just my way? A typical 
Irish crash bang wallop by the seat of your pants kind of way to do things. As anyone who saw the Dread Sovereign show in Headbangers Open Air last Friday will clearly understand what I mean. Crazy, chaotic kind of show, but certainly a lot of fun and a lot of rock and roll was had. Um, anyway, so the show is sponsored by MetalBlade.com in North America. That is also includes the Canada um, where upon those amazing Razor lyrics were taken from somewhere, sometime in the past. They were penned, penned to paper somewhere in a small town in Canada. It's probably Montreal, probably Toronto, who knows? Anyway, besides the point, you could be in Canada right now and you could be thinking, God damn it, I need that vinyl reissue to butcher the birth. Yeah, you probably do. Um, so go and take a look. Metalblade.com, use the promo code ALAN and you will get 10% off your order. And also, Hate Couture. Hateful yet tasteful apparel and clothing. Um, you, of course, you want a shirt that venerates um, a tyrant from history. You want something to piss off your nearest and dearest. You want something, and also, also piss off the people you dislike. Um, go over there, www.hate, as in I hate you, couture, C-O-U-T-U-R-E dot com, 616 forward slash. You can find the links to both of those underneath this in the description underneath this underneath this podcast in the description there'll be a few other things i'm going to mention later on etc etc but let's get into it if you're thinking to yourself i could advertise my band my label my tattoo shop my whatever else my coltan mining um plant in the um upper volta then get in touch and we can work out a deal i have a captive audience it does not it is not clear whether they are surrounded by chains or actually in chains, and those are metaphorical, of course, metaphorical chains, surrounded by or beside. Either way, they are relatively captive, it would appear, judging by the statistics, unless there is a Chinese bot farm listening over and over again, filling me with false hope, just like they're doing to the West. Boom! Take that. Right, so, episode 120. So what I'm going to talk today about is internal prejudices and um, within music, etc. A little bit about Morrissey, um, and I'll explain that in the fullness of time. I know there's been other things happening in the world. There's been politics. There's been there's been so many things that I could really talk about. Um, sometimes you just get the feeling that the world is just one big pantomime. Um, we're invited to, uh, I guess you've seen all the pictures of Zelensky's wedding in Vogue, and apparently his meet and greets with lots of people from Hollywood. And you get the impression that maybe they're just going to step off the stage of that uh, proxy war and start up a podcast. Hey, why not? Or start up a, um, a Netflix series, The Zelenskys. I don't know. It sort of breaks my brain. The whole thing just seems like incredible pantomime. But there you go. According to my computer here, it's 20 degrees here in Dublin. And it follows with a chance of raining in 28 minutes. God damn, didn't that heat wave kill thousands like we were threatened, like we were told it would? Now, of course, that could get me into some trouble with some people because questioning the orthodoxy of that argument. Well, listen, we've been through that on the podcast. So what am I going to talk about? Well, let's get into it. I'm going to talk about biases. I'm going to talk about prejudices, about, you know, some, some relatively cute stories about growing up and having your uh, your internal bias machine challenged as a kid and things that we may not have been into at one stage that we grow into, that we find out that we love and what an incredible feeling that is. But also I'm going to take a little bit of a look at um, how 
people who once upon a time, I suppose, would have been celebrated for standing up against the system now somehow seem to be the system. And that if you stand up against the system, stand up against the man. Well, seems like a majority of the public, the Twitterati, are not very happy with you standing up against the man. Anyway. I thought what I'd do is i talk about my own, as I said, internal prejudices and music. Um, things that I once thought I hated and now love and that incredible feeling of discovering an artist you'd ignored and then have a whole discography to unearth. That, and I'm going to talk about Morrissey as well. But let's do the musical stuff first. First example, Sparks. Um, I really, I wrote this a little while ago, or at least I wrote some notes about this a little while ago because I remember sitting with my cousin, um... Uh, not the one I do April Man with, but my other cousin, somewhere in 1987 or so, playing our homemade version of um, Dungeons and Dragons, listening to Manowar fighting the world. We drew huge, sprawling cities, rooms and dungeons and ramparts and all sorts of things. We had dice and someone uh, was the dungeon master, but we had no book and just kind of made it up as we went along. Proper Stranger Things style which is why that show initially registered so strongly with me, as all the aesthetic references pretty much were me in 1983. But then, look, it became too cutesy, and I went back to playing my Infernal War vinyls, or whatever I was doing on that day. But anyway, me and said cousin are arguing. He tells me, well, we're arguing. We're arguing via the WhatsApp, but um, we're arguing. He tells me, watch that Sparks documentary on Netflix. Um, You know... It's, it was current two months ago when I had the thought about this. But you don't get round to doing every podcast that fits into every thought you have. But this one just sort of dredged itself up in my memory. But like everyone lately, I've been wondering about the wisdom of my subscription. But it's still hanging around um, my credit card balance like a bit of a bad smell, to be honest with you. But it would seem that maybe even Netflix are getting the message that if you go woke, you go broke. Apparently, that's what they say. Um, anyway. Now, anyone who knows me or has heard me rumble on throughout the podcast knows my thoughts on what I consider funny or comedy or, let's say, quirky music. I have zero percent time for it and unapologetically so, not even not even for a moment. Um, last time or last night I was watching a great YouTube um, a great YouTube series. It's called New British Canon, and it takes on different songs, different bands, all this kind of stuff. And it had the song. Um, well, it had a, an episode about the Fountains of Wayne, who were taking lots of inspiration from the Cars, and it got me down this rabbit hole of watching all of the stuff about power pop. Um, and it just kind of was very interesting watching it, but it just sort of washed over me with how intentionally kind of cute and sort of. Um, quirky this kind of music was by invention Um, and as I said it kind of got my hackles up because I just don't I just don't get cheap trick like I said I rather the visceral gloom and darkness of Black Sabbath um, over it any time but this YouTube series is really excellent I would really recommend it they talk about Susie and the Banshees and Kate Bush and all sorts of very interesting stuff Um, There's one great one about how Ace of Spades brought together metal and punk and all this kind of stuff. But to be honest, I'm very, very content to spear anyone's party balloons of daft joy, any quirkiness, any oddness, any ooey-oo, just like Buddy Holly, um, makes me, as I said, want to listen to Scream Bloody Gore or Autopsy Mental Funeral. I don't need Frank Zappa in my life. I don't need to hear clutches inane lyrics about beards, the Melvins, whatever. Um, You know, if your personality is a haircut, 
Whatever, take your dumb song titles and get out of my town. You know, I know, the riff, I get it, I get it. The Melvins are kind of sacred. And I have riffs in my record collection, etc. And every now and again an argument gets to me or a riff gets to me or a song gets to me and I go, yeah, maybe I was a bit of a douche, a bit of a dickhead. I'll, I'll, I'll walk that one back. And yes, indeed, Melvins could be one of those bands, a band I had a visceral dislike for purely based on their image because all I wanted to hear at the time was Morbid Angel. But I've always been quite uh, reasonably happy to be uh, close-minded. In fact, in truth, sometimes, and it depends on my audience and how much I want to annoy them, I can celebrate it. Anything that remotely feels like there's an in-joke, or as I said, quirky music, fuck it. I'm not interested remotely. Well, you know, maybe so. I'll explain. This is how I divide it. ACDC, for example. ACDC. Is it fun? In a way, yeah, it is. But it has energy. It's uplifting. Sure, but it's rock and roll. Is Motorhead joyous? Of course, in its own way. It's life-affirming. But it's got that rebellious streak. And then, for example, with the power pop stuff I was listening to last night, uh, and this was happened to be about Fountain of Wayne, or let's say Cheap Trick, it's so knowingly clever that it sort of makes me vaguely infuriate at it. It's, you know, it's about the right songwriting um, motifs. It's lacking in a sort of visceral um, energy that sort of resonates with me. So I find it a little bit grating. Um, But fun and funny are two quite different things, you know. Of course, you know, Little Richard or Chuck Berry makes me happy after a few drinks. And on one tour, one night, we had a Little Richard evening. But you could never call it, you could never call it funny. Fun and funny are two different things. But you could never say Chuck Berry is quirky, for example, of course. Now, look, I know there are probably some of you listening to this who like Clutch. Um, and Clutch have some great riffs and they're a great live band. I get it, I get it. And I'm being unfair, kind of on purpose to prove, um, you know, to prove a point or just to be vaguely irritating today. Um, but the thing about it is, There's a part of me that knows clutch guy. Everyone knows a clutch guy, a kind of guy who um, eschews or kind of um, is not interested in rock and roll that has the tappings of rock and roll. He wants every man rock and roll, Um, but kind of wouldn't really even would consider even ACDC a bit too extravagant. And because clutch seemed to have songs about beards and down to earth stuff and this kind of stuff. Clutch guy who always is wearing, you know, um, den or camel camo pants shorts in winter always has his cap a little bit on the portly side um he's got the um he's got the neck beard he's rocking the neck beard etc etc um i always end up in a bit of a confrontation with clutch guy because clutch guy doesn't like judas priest clutch guy doesn't like iron maiden clutch guy doesn't like things that have a little any whiff of brimstone and satan about them and i find that that's what resonates most with me there's a whiff of brimstone about little richard and that kind of thing i don't want the um how can we say the more down-to-earth version anyway whatever what am i talking about i once sat in a french bar recently and watched a kind of Euro electro pop DJ set unfold. And, you know, it was kind of cool for a while, but after two hours, I simply wanted to hear something with some muscle, some bass rumbling. Three minutes of Iron Fist would wash all of this musical fluff down the drain in three seconds. And this is kind of how I feel in a nutshell about some of these things. I'm always looking for the extremity of the emotional range. I want art inspired by darkness, anger, hate, aggression, adversity, rage, proper melancholy, tragedy, sadness, whatever you want to call it. And 
that should be unashamedly the, um, I think, the well the, from which art draws from. But of course, something like Power Pop, this is not really what it's about. It's about, it's about really, I suppose, the awkwardness of human interactions. It's about, um, you know, failed love affairs, teenage heartbreak, all that kind of thing, you know. But let's continue in this vein. Um, a quirky song was playing in a bar I was in the other day called Tashimi Battles the Pink Robots. And you know, it just makes me, how can we say, makes me feel embarrassed for my grey matter. Pointlessness. Um, of course, I do understand the concept that not everything has to be, you know, kind of like tipped into the red on every um, sort of uh, measure of our emotional range. And some things are just frivolous and some things are just kind of fun. And, you know, I... Again, subscribe to Justin Hawkins of The Darkness, his YouTube channel, which I think is great. And he's sort of made me, you know, he's kind of taught a little bit of um, tolerance for these kind of things. I've forgotten who the band was or who even sings that song. Maybe you know. I don't know. But I remember feeling nothing but disgust at the video when I inadvertently had to sit through it in the same hipster bar. For example, the Foo Fighters are always associated for me with that video where they dress up as... Um, they dress up as as cabin crew on a plane um too cute i don't care about blur for example blur have that song that's the little um milk carton that goes around these things they're just indelibly marked into my brain it's like oh you're the band with the little cute milk carton i will never ever listen to anything that you do i don't care that graham coxon made a death metal band in fact shame on you for mixing the streams or whatever the ghostbusters um the ghostbusters rule is Death metal ain't for you, Mr. Cox, and I'm sorry. Anyway, what am I talking about? Like I said, I'm just trying to stir the pot a little bit. But anyway, I got stuck watching a YouTube video of a band called Oingo Boingo Live. The first song was interesting, but who calls their band that? Uh, no atom of my 12-year-old or my 46-year-old self could live with myself for listening to a band with such a stupid name. Um, it's fine. I think I'm close-minded. I've made my point. I'll put the needle down. Um, on uh, well what have we got right now I can see death spiritual healing no problem but what can we say we can part ways we can part ways now with some of these kind of things or you can keep your teenage fan club albums and I'll have pornography by the cure um, you can keep your Elton John records and I'll take Leonard Cohen you can keep your Frank Zappa but I'll have Nick Cave it's no problem art and entertainment right However, Just Can't Get Enough by Depeche Mode is sort of a novelty record on some level, right? But it paves the way for the brilliance of Ultra. It's more the exuberance of youth than inviting people to take part in an in-joke. This monkey's gone to heaven. Well, I'll have Cemetery Gates by the Smiths instead. Ah, the Smiths. Well, now. Joy, no doubt, can be channeled through the righteous energy of rock and roll. I have generally, like I said, nothing but contempt for the opposite. But so, of course, sparks. Sparks! I filled in my head filed in my head not filled in my head although that's also quite possible i had filed in my head under novelty but my cousin is on the front foot man of war he says well that's funny right and objectively he's not wrong i guess it's not intentional um although to someone outside the bubble of metal it seems so hilarious and over the top the full spinal tap this one goes to 11 but from within it's not and I said, and we'll use the word again, draped on novelty or quirky sounding, I suppose it's self-knowing, the sort of wink, the self-knowing wink from one person who um, understands the nuances of power pop to another is um, what is missing for me um, in the visual uh, confrontation we're discussing here. 
Sure, it's total heavy metal. And you know, loin cots, greased nipples, before we get to stuffed eagles and furry boots. But to him, it's funny. Eh, I can see the point. But I think it's amusing in different ways. And it's really about intent, right? Or is it? The intention of Man of War is not humour, even if it can be seen as humorous. He pokes fun at me and the big M. And you know what? Right, right, right. I get it. I get it. We're we're old adversaries when it comes to arguing and fighting with each other. He's on the front foot. I'm on the front foot. The start of this podcast is kind of a reaction to him being on the front foot, which I wouldn't take entirely seriously. But damn it, I put that Sparks biography on, on Netflix. Oh, it's a Netflix. <clears throat> and look, I knew this town ain't big enough for the both of us, of course. But as the movie unfolded, I realized I knew more and more and more songs. And that slow dawning of realization, damn, this is fascinating. In fact, more than fascinating. My prejudices are becoming completely unmoored. And halfway through, I follow them on Spotify to re-examine the songs after watching. And I ain't too proud or close-minded to admit. Over the course of the next 90 minutes, I simply sort of fell in, well, we won't call it in love, but in, I fell in like with their idealism. They won me over. This commitment to actually being artists, working every day, this incredible narrative between the male brothers... M-A-E-L. Um, of course, we all know their curious aesthetic, as John Lennon said in mythology, Mark Boland singing um, uh, with Hitler on keyboards. You all know their aesthetic. It's kind of iconic. Well, more than iconic. And actually, as the movie went on, the documentary went on, I started to root for them. Something deep and primal took over. Rooting for the underdog, rooting for the outsider. Hmm. Just like it did with the Anvil movie. Okay, sure, metalheads know that the reason why Anvil never made it, never made it is kind of, shh, they suck. They kind of sore to do. But you rooted for them. And that last reveal in Japan as they come out to a big crowd, let's be frank, your heart kind of soared for them. Even mine did a little. I'm an automaton like myself. But I'm not a robot, after all. And well, guess, guess the fuck what? Watching the last 25% of that Sparks documentary as they get what they deserve in a new audience who finally respect them and they get their moment, which starts the dial moving in the late 90s but blossoms in their noughties, is, let's be straight, kind of inspiring. And as the credits rolled, I had a bit of a grin. Damn, damn it. Did, actually, did that actually make me happy? Maybe I'm beginning to discover a little bit of conceit in my own thoughts here. Actually, the doc was, the documentary is a beautiful... The doc I might... The documentary is a beautiful example of artists never conceding to the mainstream, never towing the party line, doing their own thing and challenging prejudices and even managing in 90 minutes to dismantle one as profoundly carved into stone as mine is. I mean, I say, I say that, but the truth is, you know, I, I have very straight views on things, but if you put on Maggot Brain, Pale Moon, Exile on Main Street or drop some Joni Mitchell, Lydia Lunch or Patti Smith even, I mean, hey, you will find Beastie Boys albums in my collections, but when all is said and done, I prefer Mental Funeral. Hmm, okay, but you know what? I do now follow Sparks on Spotify and damn it to my cousin if he wasn't kind of right um, but then I went back to Spotify and tried to listen to Sparks without the visuals which was a daunting prospect as they have about 50 albums uh, where do you even start on a band with 50 years of history incidentally they have a song called Lighten Up Morrissey oh, I'll get to that over 20 minutes of trying to break their back catalogue and walking around town listening to Dio hmm go figure that neat little segue leads me into a kind of older version of the same story. It's 1988. In fact, it might even be 1989. And a group of 
let me let's call them summer friends a sort of cool punk rock metal goth straight edge breakfast club have a sort of vinyl listening group it doesn't last long um just a couple of weeks in the summer and maybe of 89 actually let's say it's 1989 four dudes and one girl and we all fancy the girl awkward outsider kids back when that's what it actually meant and my mate with an x on his hand straight edge guy in a minor threat shirt my other mate with a Bowie shirt, a surfer dude um, who liked um, sort of like late 60s, early 70s garage um, and the archetypal Susie Sue, goth girl from 89 and me with my Slayer shirt on. And we played each other the vinyls we got that week. Now, you've heard me before talk about this. My straight edge mate was talking up Black Flag. This is the most aggressive thing ever. And I had Sodom in the sign of evil in my bag waiting to go which objectively makes mincemeat out of Black Flag, sonically at least. I stand over that statement, Black Flag. TV party tonight doesn't hold a candle in terms of caustic and violent-sounding uh, grooves compared to blasphemy. But of course, in the fullness of time, I end up with a deep respect for Black Flag and Rollins and what they achieved. But today we're listening to The Smiths. It's 1989, and I hate it. I mean, fuck me, I hate it. It goes completely over my head. Absolutely, completely. It sounds like pure musical whimsy to me, and I file it under music with no balls. And we'll return to this concept that Morrissey had no balls, because he certainly has balls right now. But somewhere about 15 years later, my oldest mate is playing the best of the Smiths in his car. We're driving to a football match. I still don't get it. He plays me this new band called The White Stripes. Hotel Yorba, blah, 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 blah. I think, and, eh, notinterested.com. My prejudices are well and truly intact. However, somewhere around a decade ago, maybe a bit more, I watch Irish Blood, English Heart by Morrissey live in Manchester Arena. Um, Morrissey, and you know, got to admit, the lyrics got to me. The tone, the attitude said something about my, uh, my family, my history to me. Um, Now, it helped at the time that Morrissey seemed to be single-handedly pissing off all the carping and whinging voices um, on the woke left, uh, which we find shrill and annoying. Good job, sir. And slowly but surely, I uncovered a deep sort of love for the Smiths that I suppose started with that Morrissey track and then sort of led me down a path. And the joy of discovering this band that um, I'd previously ignored and filed under uh, to whimsy now that I love them. In fact, how my friend laughed at me who played me them in 1989. But I would go as so far as to say they are now one of my, well, my favourite bands. Unreservedly. I got it. The penny dropped. And what's more, it makes sense. This sense of melancholy. I'm everyday melancholy. But also as a fan of Leonard Cohen and Nick Cave, how could I not respect what is stylistically one of the greatest lyricists of all time? How could I? And it was the opening chords of what difference does it make? I told my oldest mate, yeah, man, I kind of love the Smiths now. He flung his head back like a cartoon, <laughs> like a sort of, you know, 1950s Hanna-Barbera cartoon and laughed. I mean, bellowed laughing. Fucking hell. 30 years later. Well, better late than never, I guess. And I'll digress for a moment to talk about Morrissey because the more that I've become sort of in, you know, um, drawn into his orbit, the more I find the whole thing fascinating. Because let's be honest, Morrissey right now is more black metal than most black metal bands. Um, his new, his new label, our new album is recorded. It's called Bonfire of Teenagers, and his label BMG won't release it. In fact, they've decided to pull all represses and reissues of his old album. They released a sort of pro diversity statement and a kind of, you know, the intention. I suppose the back story of that was a sort of anti-Morrissey sort of statement. Um, 
And I may not agree with everything Morrissey says, but I think the people have forgotten that um, traditionally rock and roll was about rebellion. It was about sticking it to the man. It was about standing up uh, for the outsider status. It was actually about um, standing up for your um, opinions, you know, not always to cater to everyone or even the major group demographic of people, you know, the major group think. And Morrissey transgresses this incredibly. Now, you will have heard me talk um, throughout the last two years, actually, if you've been following me, about how certain unnamed members of the heavy metal community uh, just seem to be carrying water for Big Pharma, shilling for the government, shilling for the state. May- shilling is maybe a strong word, but most definitely the songs they sang about rebellion seem to echo a bit hollow with me as they um, clearly came down on the side of state and governance. Um, and let's call him surreptitiously the man. Well, I'll tell you what, Morrissey is still on the other side of that divide. Now, I may not agree with everything that he says. I think it's a ridiculous concept that you should believe in um, or you should agree with anything necessarily that you're, um, you know, the artist that you like say. Some yes, some no. But I do admire the fact that he holds his ground. Um, and incredibly, I also came across a Simpsons episode, which is a complete hatchet job on Morrissey, voiced by Benedict Cumberpatch, uh, no less. Um, just to point out that Benedict Cumberpatch seemed to take money to act as Julian Assange in a movie which seemed to be uh, a kind of propaganda exercise, a sort of anti-Assange exercise. I don't really have an opinion one way or the other about um, Julian Assange, but um, there is something contradictory on those terms there. But certainly somebody in the writing team in The Simpsons went out to um, just go for Morrissey. But the first single on this new album is... Um, Basically, a sort of an answer to uh, the Manchester terror attack in which a guy killed, I think, 21 young girls at an Ariana Grande concert. And um, he basically says, you know, while you sang Don't Look Back in Anger, he claims that he will always look back in anger. And there's something that resonated with me because in those summer where there was lots of attacks, um, especially what happened in Paris and that kind of thing, in the um, at the Eagles of Death Metal show, all those kind of things. The sight of people coming out onto the street the next day to sing Imagine by John Lennon just filled me with a kind of existential rage. It's like, where's the reaction to, um, you know, to like 81 people being plowed into by uh, on a truck, by a truck in, I think it was in either Lyon, Nantes or Bordeaux, or we saw the whole world explode, um, you know, over during the lockdown in the summer over protests um, over, you know, over George Floyd. But uh, I've often kind of wondered where was the anger over these other things that happened? For example, I suppose this is just the modern, um, you know, the society that we live in now where people um, very clearly their anger or rage is compartmentalized as in relationship to how it will reflect on their um, stance with, with their friends or on social media, that kind of thing. But there's certainly no consistency to the arguments. Anyway, what am I talking about? Yeah, God damn it, Morrissey is black metal as he's going in in the lyrics on this song. And, you know, he is, um, he is, it would seem to me, the same character he always was from the 80s. And, you know, that was the role that um, rock stars or um, people like that had in the 70s and the 60s and the 80s they stayed you know they stood up against the establishment now you probably go well you just pick and choose because you seem to like some of his politics i didn't say that um you know i'll give out about neil young for being um what it seemed to be his ill-advised spotify 
um, you know, tirade. And also the fact that he said he was going to pull music that he actually doesn't even own, that some of it was had been sold to the... Um, you know, venture capitalist firm BlackRock. So I don't think he had any real integrity to begin with within that argument. But it would seem to me that nowadays people want their rock stars to be uh, conformist. They don't want them to rage against the machine anymore. They want to stand up for the virtues of the machine. But to me, at least, as somebody who came late to the party, I'm like, oh, wow, great. I'm good for you, Marcy. You seem to be able to piss off this many people. Well, surely it's good to have somebody, you know, ruffling the feathers of the mainstream. I certainly don't demand to agree with every one of his points of view or principles, but isn't it fascinating that um, in an age where so much of what passes for modern popular music just seems to be so anodyne or overtly sexual, which nobody seems to really object to, uh, as in the sort of sexualization of preteens and pre-adolescents, but, you know, that society seems to think that that's okay. But the idea that... Um, we just get tons of articles now put in Marcy News, get tons of cancel culture articles of people wanting, kind of like, we've had enough of you now. We liked you when um, when there was a light that, you know, never goes out, was used in all these 90s and noughties kind of like teen movies. We liked that, but we don't like you making statements about, well, those same pre-teenage girls uh, dying in a terror attack. So what happened to all the uh, so-called anti-establishment people or the so-called rebels? I know, strange. Anyway, sorry, I got kind of sidetracked there. Um, but something really provoked and poked a nerve with me with this Simpsons episode. And I just thought, wow, is this really the Simpsons place to just kind of go right for the jugular? Um, somebody in the writing room going, today we're writing an episode to get that fucking Morrissey bloke. So anyway, yeah, Morrissey is black metal. That's all I was merely meant to say with that last comment. Um, it's at this moment, I suppose, I should uh, mention another ad, and that is, again, the Irish band Strangers with Guns. Um, the links will be underneath the description and on the YouTube channel. Uh, they have a new EP out, which, to me at least, echoes some early 90s therapy. It's sort of aggressive, it's a bit hardcore, it's a bit sort of grungy, it's a bit dirgy. You'll hear it playing in the background if you want to go and support a young Irish ad- artist um, and even just check them out you know follow the links follow the links I suppose what I'm trying to say with that little Morrissey tirade is that I came late to the party and found it great that somebody um, you know like I said if I don't I don't have to agree with all of their principles or their politics to think that you can do that with anyone I think it's just a nonsense or to demand that they toe the line again is just somehow ridiculous, but that's the age that we live in, the kind of cancel culture age. Um, and so, especially the new controversy around his new single, around his new album, um, it just struck me that here was somebody who is still the outsider, still the rebel. As he says, how can you cancel somebody who always was cancelled? Well, anyway, I do wonder how many people have been busy getting their uh, their Smith's lyrics uh, that they got tattooed back in the 80s and 90s, lasered off. I would love to see a statistic about that. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Prejudices, prejudices, musical prejudices. The third form of denial, it kind of comes when you're too busy or sort of arguing with a person, um, an individual, in this case an ex, who kept on at me about Mark Lanigan. You have to try it. Someone giving me a streaming, Screaming Tree CD in the 90s. And I'm not sure it ever got played under a funeral moon or some grunge band with flannel shirts. There was no competition, right? Anyway, said X pushed the Lanigan angle again and again and again. And I wasn't listening. 
Yeah, it was a bit of a turbulent moment. So, of course, time spent arguing consolidated my unwillingness and shoulder-shrugging assholeness that was unable to take on board Mark Lanigan. And for the third time, as this is a biblical podcast, right? How wrong could I be? Funeral Blues was perhaps my most played album of two or three months ago um, when I cracked it and when I had the idea for this podcast as well, actually. Sadly, after he died, I played it over and over. In fact, almost like an album I got in 1989, 10 or 15 times in one week. How could I have been quite so wrong? Of course, sometimes when an artist is so prolific, it puts me off as you wonder, is there um, an expression of content over creativity? Just then, but then just like Sparks, you realized that real artists, they create. Maybe you've watched that Nick Cave documentary, I think it's called 300 Days or something, where he goes on about his writing day. You wake up and you create. You go to the space and create. Well, there's no doubt that Mark Lanigan um, did the same thing. And once I cracked that album, I watched him live, regretting the fact that he played literally 250 meters from my house um, several times. And no doubt um, I was sitting downing beers listening to the first Bathory album. A noble pursuit, no doubt, that is. But you can indeed do both. So what is the real purpose? Porpoise. Yeah, what is the porpoise? What is the purpose of this podcast? Um, I, apart from my kind of mid um, ramble across Morrissey and how black metal he is now, I suppose the thing is that orthodoxy is fine um, and that I admire people who know what they like and know what they dislike and stick to their guns. But it ain't an exact science. And admitting that sometimes you got it wrong can take 30 years. Um, so my advice, watch the Sparks documentary, listen to Meet His Murder or Funeral Blues or maybe take down from the shelf something you filed under I'm not bothered and give it another chance because it can be an incredibly rewarding and enriching experience to discover an artist and go, wow, now I have, um, now I have like, however, this great discography lined up to discover over 10 or 20 years. Um, and of course, you know, when you're, you can be, I could be forgiven at 14 for not really understanding the Smiths because all I wanted to hear, um, as I said, was Sodom and Morbid Angel and Bathory and Slayer. Aggressive stuff that a 14-year-old boy raging with testosterone um, would want to hear. I wasn't really interested in sort of bedsit, um, introverted sort of melancholy. That really didn't appeal to me. Although it must be said that at the time the cure struck a bit... Uh, struck a broader nerve with me but that's maybe because pornography the album that um, got played to me had a sort of open broader heavy drum sound that sort of you could hear resonated um with a more metal teenage mindset um, and the same with joy division the sort of prominent bass lines were much more much easier to tap into you could feel that link much more easy easily to some elements of uh, metal or punk you know whereas the smiths was something really really quite different um, it was a hard nut to crack and like I said it took me 30 years and I can still picture one of my oldest friend's face when he when I told him after 30 years that I loved the Smiths he was just like wow incredible you are such an asshole he had a point my friends episode 120 of Agitators Anonymous is just about sort of and um, the three biblical prongs of musical prejudice what an asshole i am and how i uh, recently resonated deeply with somebody else who's widely considered an asshole as well and that man's name is um, a young morrissey and so to the end of agitators anonymous don't take me that seriously my friends 
I'm Alan Averill, and this is episode 120. Over and out. <laughs> <laughs>